Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 18th program on male and female. He created them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979-1984. Theology of Original Innocence. Today's meditation presupposes what has already been established by our various previous analyses. They spring from the answer Jesus gave to his interlocutors. See Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 9, St. Mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12, who had asked him a question about marriage, about its indissolubility and unity. The teacher had urged them to consider attentively what was from the beginning. For this reason, in the cycle of our meditations up until today, we have attempted to reproduce in some way the reality of union, or better, of the communion of persons lived from the beginning by man and woman. After this, we try to penetrate into the content of the concise verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Now both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame. These words refer to the gift of original innocence by revealing its synthetic character, so to speak. On this basis, theology has built the overall image of man's original innocence and justice before original sin. By applying the method of objectification specific to metaphysics and metaphysical anthropology, in the present analysis, we are trying, rather, to take into account the aspect of human subjectivity. Subjectivity, moreover, seems to be closer to the original texts, especially the second creation account, that is, the Yahwist text. A certain diversity of interpretations notwithstanding, it seems sufficiently clear that the experience of the body, as we can gather from the ancient text of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, and even more so of Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, indicates a degree of spiritualization of man that differs from the one about which the text speaks after original sin. Genesis chapter 3, and which we know from the experience of historical man. It is a different measure of spiritualization that implies another composition of inner forces in man himself, another body-soul relation, as it were, other inner proportions between sensitivity, spirituality, and affectivity, that is, another degree of inner sensibility for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of this conditions the state of man's original innocence and at the same time determines it, allowing us also to understand the account of Genesis. Theology and also the Church's magisterium have given to these fundamental truths a form of their own. When we undertake the analysis of the beginning according to the dimension of the theology of the body, we do so by basing ourselves on the words of Christ with which he himself appealed to that beginning. When he said, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator created them, male and female? Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he ordered us, and always orders us, to return to the depth of the mystery of creation. And we do so 
in the full awareness of the gift of original innocence, which belonged to man before original sin. Although an insurmountable barrier divides us from what man was then, as male and female, through the gift of grace, united to the mystery of creation, and from what both were for each other as a reciprocal gift, we are nevertheless trying to understand that state of original innocence in its link with man's historical state after original sin. Status naturae lapse simu et redempte, the state of fallen and at the same time redeemed nature. Through the category of the historical a posteriori, we are attempting to reach the original meaning of the body and to grasp the link that exists between it and the nature of original innocence in the experience of the body, which is made evident in such a significant way in the Genesis account. We come to the conclusion that it is important and essential to determine this link with precision, not only with reference to man's theological prehistory, in which the shared life of man and woman was completely permeated, as it were, by the grace of original innocence, but also in relation to the possibility of its revealing to us the permanent roots of the human, and especially the theological aspect of the ethos of the body, the root of the ethos of the human body. Man enters into the world and into the innermost guiding thread of his future and his history with the consciousness of the spousal meaning of his own body, of his own masculinity and femininity. Original innocence says that this meaning is conditioned ethically, and further that on its part it constitutes the future of human ethos. This is very important for the theology of the body. It is the reason why we must build this theology from the beginning, carefully following the indication of Christ's words. In the mystery of creation, man and woman were in a particular way given to one another by the Creator, not only in the dimension of that first human pair and of that first communion of persons, but in the whole perspective of the existence of the human race and of the human family. The fundamental fact of this existence of man in every stage of his history is that God created them male and female. In fact, he always creates them in this way, and they are always such. The understanding of the fundamental meanings contained in the very mystery of creation, such as the spousal meaning of the body, and of the fundamental conditioning of this meaning, is important and indispensable for knowing who man is, and who he ought to be, and therefore how he should shape his own activity. It is something essential and important for the future of human ethos. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 notes that the two, man and woman, were created for marriage for this reason. A man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. In this way, a great creative perspective is opened up, which is precisely the perspective of man's existence, which continually renews itself by means of procreation, one could say of self-reproduction. 
This perspective is deeply rooted in the consciousness of humanity. See Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And also in the particular consciousness of the spousal meaning of the body. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Before they become husband and wife, a little later, Genesis 4, verse 1, speaks of it concretely. Man and woman come forth from the mystery of creation, first of all as brother and sister in the same humanity. The understanding of the spousal meaning of the body in its masculinity and femininity reveals the innermost point of their freedom, which is the freedom of the gift. It is from here that the communion of persons begins, in which both encounter each other and give themselves reciprocally in the fullness of their subjectivity. In this way, both grow as persons, subjects, and grow reciprocally one for the other, also through their bodies and through that nakedness free from shame. In this communion of persons, the whole depth of the original solitude of man, of the first and of all, is perfectly ensured. And at the same time, this solitude is permeated and enlarged in a marvelous way by the gift of the other. If man and woman cease being reciprocally a disinterested gift, as they were for one another in the mystery of creation, they recognize that they are naked. See Genesis chapter 3 verse 7. It is then that shame about nakedness is born in them, a shame they did not feel in the state of original innocence. Original innocence manifests and at the same time constitutes the perfect ethos of the gift. And with these words, our Holy Father concludes his 18th presentation on male and female. He created them a theology of the body. We're indebted to the translating work of Professor Michael Waldstein. In this 18th catechesis of Pope John Paul II's Male and Female, he created them a theology of the body. Pope John Paul II has been focusing our attention on the theology of original innocence. He focuses our attention on three questions about marriage, about indissolubility, and about unity. The first 17 presentations in this series of 133 talks on the theology of the body focused in a real way on the beginning, since our Lord referred back to Genesis, to the God's intention in the beginning, the union, the communion of persons, naked without shame. So our Holy Father has brought to the forefront what is this original innocence. We know of it only by revelation, since we live after the fall. Here the Holy Father makes the distinction between biblical man and historical man, man in history, even if there are historical truths discernible in sacred scripture. Not only are we reminded of original innocence, but also of original justice, how we were in right relation, not only with ourselves and with each other, but even with God. And then justice to give each their due, and God has his due. When we transgressed the holy law of God, that ordinance of reason, the consequences of the fall. And so Pope John Paul II speaks to us not only of the good news, how we are redeemed in Christ, bridegroom of the church, like us in all things but sin, but also the other side of that coin, how we have been cast out from paradise, 
how we have a tendency to sin, how we suffer and die. These are consequences of original sin. Our Lord is not content to leave us, however, in the depths of sorrow and despair. The Eternal Father sent us the Eternal Son to save us, to restore lost innocence, to make things right between heaven and earth, us and God, to free us from our sins, not only that which we inherit from our first parents, original sin, but even from those sins which we commit ourselves, that there might be a communion of persons here on earth, Mother Church, even in communion with that eternal communion of persons, Holy Trinity, that we might be without shame here on earth, even as we long for that eternal life without shame on high, heaven. Pope John Paul II, in this 18th Catechesis on Male and Female, He Created Them a Theology of the Body, speaks to us about a metaphysical method of objectification. It's not that he's seeking to make objects of us, but when you do a metaphysical study, a study of the being of things, you look at the thing in itself. This man, this woman, this husband, this wife, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean to have been in original innocence? What does it mean to have lost the grace of original innocence. So the method of metaphysics to objectify is not to depersonify, but it's to get to know the person even better. Who is this made in the image of God? And metaphysical objectification, this philosophical method, is, is not for itself, but it's a sort of metaphysical anthropology. Anthropos, man. Anthropology, the science of man, what it means to be a human being. And the being part is emphasized by the word metaphysical. There's even a book, and if you look in Wojtyłyn studies, Metaphysica della persona, tutte l'opere sage ed integrave di Carlo Wojtyła, published in Italian, so many of the philosophical, metaphysical works of Pope John Paul II. The Holy Father is conscious of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, of which he partook, as an active uh, father, especially as regards to a concern for Christian anthropology, an understanding of the human person in light of Christ, who reveals not only God to us, but us to ourselves. This 18th Catechesis, the Holy Father reminds us, focuses on human subjectivity, conscious of his ability and of his actual practice of this metaphysical method of objectification and his metaphysical anthropological study, he's nevertheless focusing on the subject. This is a critique made by some, Stanley Yaki comes to mind, when commenting on Fides et Ratio. Father Yaki said Wojtyla only spoke about objectivity towards the end. Perhaps it was because Pope John Paul II knew he had written of objectivity elsewhere and also included it here as a metaphysical method. But not only does he look at the objective truth of the matter, the reality of the matter, remember Veritatis Splendor, the splendor of the truth, there is objective truth, we can know it, we're not relativists, but you are the knowing subject, you're the one who knows what you know. And God knows what God knows, and God knows all, the omniscience of God. So, in this passage of the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, Pope John Paul II draws our attention to the fact that 
here he's focusing on human subjectivity, not to deny objectivity or the objectification of metaphysical methodology, but just because those who do good or those who do evil are individual human beings, subjects, recipients of grace, potentially, hopefully, recipients of eternal reward, mercy of God in heaven, or justice elsewhere. Pope John Paul II reminds us when he says, even with a diversity of interpretations, he recognizes that there's a diversity of interpretations of the sacred scriptures, of the matters of faith. Nevertheless, he insists, the experience of the body. We have an experience of our body. These are my cheeks. This is my nose. You can pinch it. Maybe somebody pats you on the back. and It's an experience of your body. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I ate too much. That's an experience of your body. Via Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, raise a degree of spiritualization of man different from that in Genesis chapter 3 after original sin. So the Pope is reminding us that there is this reality called sacred scripture. And if you look at these three passages which he mentions, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and then I guess all of chapter 3 of Genesis, three different passages of Genesis, and they give us a different approach, a different appreciation of who is the human person, the human being, a spiritualized version, a spiritualized interpretation. We're not just so many molecules, so many pounds of flesh and bone, but there's a spiritual dimension to us. Even present in sin, in original sin, it is not just my body which has sinned, it is not just my soul which has sinned. I have sinned, you have sinned. This subject has acted in accordance with grace, in accordance with God's holy will, or contrawise. We know from experience as historical man what is your history? When were you born? Where were you born? Where have you studied? Where have you played? Where have you worked? What books have you read? This is all in history, a certain time. You're listening to this radio program live at 4 o'clock on Sundays and Thursdays. You're listening to this podcast on the internet at your own convenience. These are moments of history. And we know about our spiritualization as historical personages because I have learned in time. You learn in time. There was a time when we could not spell our name, let alone utter it. And now we can tell you other people who have our same name. John the Baptist, John the Evangelist, John Bosco, John Vianney, John Chrysostom. How many different people in the world with the name John? John Wayne, great cowboy actor. These are things which I have come to know in history. Pope John Paul II likewise has come to know things in his history, and in these 133 conferences that make up the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, he's trying to get us to come to know, to better appreciate the reality which is the human person, the human being, and especially that aspect of us which is our human sexuality, part of God's divine plan. The prehistory given to us in sacred scripture points to another body-soul relation in man himself. Interior proportions, my sensitivities, my 
spirituality, my affectivity. These are aspects of the soul, not merely of my material being, my material makeup. I have two ears and one mouth. So the clever wisdom of the hills says we should listen twice as much as we speak. But are we sensitive in the way we hear, or in the way we speak, in the way we think? When we think, when we know what we know, when we seek to know the truth, this is an aspect of our spirituality, not merely folding our hands and bending our knees, although we're called to do that. We're called to worship God in spirit and truth, bending the knee before the Lord our Maker, but even to communicate whichever truths, any and all truths we are able to come to know. This is a spiritual aspect of our human being and our affectivity. Sure, between husband and wife, greatly expressed, in the making of love. But this is not the only way affection, love, can be shown. In point of fact, the Lord in the Gospel says, no greater love than to lay down your life for one's friend. And he laid his life down for us, for his bride-mother church, while we were yet still at enmity with him. The Holy Father mentions in this 18th Catechesis on the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, that theology, the science of God, and the church's magisterium, that is the teaching authority of the church, have given these fundamental truths about original sin, original justice, original innocence, a form of their own. And he cites in the footnote two sources. The Council of Trent, which was called to answer the crisis in the church, which arose around the time of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Henry VIII, fathers, as it were, of the Anglican Communion, Henry VIII, the Lutheran Church, Martin Luther, and the Presbyterian Calvinist Church through John Calvin, the Council of Trent seeking to reform the church in head and members, as well as the theologian Adolphus Tankery. This was a standard text for many a year for those studying theology, and perhaps even Pope John Paul II benefited from studying it himself. Now in his own turn, not only as a student of theology, but as the Bishop of Rome, so perhaps as a hybridization of theology and magisterium, Pope John Paul II is presenting yet again for the whole church and for the world these fundamental truths of original innocence and original justice and original sin, how we're made in the image and likeness of God, how God has instituted marriage as that indissoluble union, communion of persons, ordered to the good of the spouses and the generation education of children. This is part of his analysis, and now it is part of ours, since we're looking at the text, since we're studying together these realities, which have been so from the beginning of time, and will be even until the consummation of the age. This is called the theology of the body, an explication of the mystery of creation, how God has made us male and female, body and soul. The Pope reminds us that it was one way before the fall, before original sin. There's little controversy in a certain sense of what it's like after the fall, after original sin. We know so well. Not even looking at the news on the television or on the internet or in the radio, but even looking in the mirror when we would brush our teeth, comb our hair, 
Pope John Paul II is anxious in these 133 presentations of the theology of the body as he attempts to understand the state of original innocence. What was it like? None of us lived under that state. What was it like to live in that original state of innocence? And what is its link? What is the link between our historical state, the state in which we live in now in 2010, or in 1978 when he was elected, or 1979 when he began these talks, or 1984 when he concluded the series, or 2005 when he breathed his last? What is the connection between original innocence and our day when we live under the shadow of original sin? And not only the shadow of original sin, but under the shadow of the cross. And now under the shadow of the ascended, glorious, risen Lord Jesus, who sits at the Father's right hand, whose returning glory to judge the living and the dead we long for, he who is the bridegroom of the church. This is part of our study as we go together through these conferences of John Paul II. Via the historical a posteriori category, Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II, is attempting to reach the original meaning of the body. We've spoken about the importance of meaning in the thought of the Holy Father before. There are those who would discount that anything means anything, but those who would do such mean what they say when they say there is no meaning, and so that's a contradiction in term. It's a disregarding of the principle of the law of non-contradiction. Pope John Paul II does not deny the law of non-contradiction. He lets his yes be yes and his no be no, knowing that anything else comes from the evil one, from the father of darkness, the prince of lies, from Satan, the devil. John Paul II follows the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, and calls us to follow no less. That altogether we will follow the Lord Jesus to that place of blessing, eternal blessing, which is heaven. Heaven which has been opened for us by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who applies the grace he won by his death and resurrection to us in the here and now, in our history, through the grace given us in the sacraments, especially baptism, and for those sins we unhappily commit after baptism in the sacrament of penance and in the sacrament of his body and blood, the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament of the altar, and in that sacrament of service for so many, holy marriage, where the husband serves his wife, and the wife serves her husband, and together they serve their children, and all the world bearing witness to that love which exists between Christ and his bride, the church. Indeed, it was in view of the incarnation that Adam was created. Christ is the new Adam, and his death and resurrection... Christ reminds us of the beginning to which he refers in his earthly ministry. Pope John Paul II in this 18th catechesis of the theology of the body, male and female, he created them, reminds us repeatedly to grasp the link that exists between the original meaning of the body and the nature of original innocence in the experience of the body. Each of us has an experience of the body, even though none of us are the first man, the first woman, the first couple. By our experience of our bodies, we're able to appreciate the fall. That's our history. But there's a prehistory, a theological prehistory. What happened before the fall? What happened before the way we are now? How was it in the beginning? And that's what our Holy Father has been focusing our attention on through these so many conferences on the theology of the body. He's reminding us of the theological prehistory. 
How did we get here? We know where we are. We know where we'd like to go. Where have we been? Where did we come from? That's what he's reminding us in the light of God's love and mercy. God in whose image we are made for ourselves. Pope John Paul II, when he was a younger man, was a professor of ethics. What good should be done and what evil should be avoided. So the phrase ethos of the body echoes this activity. Granted, the ethos of the body is not opposed to the ethos of the soul, or even better, the ethos of the whole human person, body and soul composite. How is it that we approach the body? Is it that we do so as if it were just a machine? Do we approach the body as if it doesn't matter? Or do we know that we are to glorify God in our body? That's what's at stake here. That's the question. The answer is Christ, crucified and glorified, bridegroom of Mother Church. Until next time, God bless you.